as we come to the conclusion of this series looking at the life of Jacob, the final statement made by God to him was to return to me. Come back and let's begin that relationship that is so important. Many people don't hear that voice. They're listening to other voices. God is calling them back, but they're not coming. They're ignoring God. Some think that they can fix it themselves. Some people are afraid that that God will, will demand more of them. So they just refuse to listen. I'm so thankful that Jacob listened. It changed not just his generation and the next. It changed the nation of Israel for, as I read this passage earlier in Genesis 35, I could not help but think about modern Israel today and what is going on there and how important they are in the Middle East. They are the only stability that we have there. They're the only voice of hope. They're the only people that listen to God. And without them, this world would be in a huge and terrible mess in that region. Return to the Lord and let him remind you of his commitment. And renew your faith in him because you're going to have to face life's sorrows. That's the message. The beginning of this passage, it started out with a commitment that was great. At the end of it, there was the death of a beloved wife and a servant. That's the way it is in life. God doesn't work a deal out with you where if you behave and do what you should and you're obedient to him, that everything in your life will be good and perfect and great. No, that's not the relationship that he has with you. The relationship, he says, is trust me, and number one, my son's blood will cover your sins and save you, and you'll have a home in heaven. Number two, if you will walk with me and hear me, Not just talk to me, but listen to me, hear me. I'll guide you, and I'll be with you in the storms as well as the celebrations, in the disastrous times as well as the fruitful, good, and peaceful times. That's what God says. But the reality is when you you look at the situation that, that Jacob went through, it's much like the one we're in today. When you try to live for the Lord and trust Him, it's amazing what He will teach you. But you cannot live for God and go after the pleasures of this world. There's an ancient saying of prehistoric people that went something like this. Never try to walk in two directions at the same time because you will suddenly become less than a whole person. You can't do that. You simply can't do that. Some people are trying to walk two roads. They're trying to live for for two different causes. They're trying to be a Christian when it's pertinent to do that. But then when they get out in the world or out in the business community, they they just blend. They they go after that. And a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways, and you'll never know who or what you are until you make a commitment for Christ. Jacob figured it out. 
And it's unfortunate that many times Jacob will fall back into sin, but he always realized that God was there and where he should be, and you need to do that also. Adrian Rogers said one time, he said, sin will take you farther than you want to go, keep you longer than you want to stay, and cost you more than you're willing to pay for. That's true. And it will guide us away from where we want to be. Some of us have been there. I've been there. I've walked away from God. I closed my Bible and said, God, what you want me to do, I can't do. I refuse to do it. I found an excuse not to become a preacher. I saw something bad happen in a church, a church fight, disagreement. And I used that as an excuse not to follow God's calling on me to preach for nine years. In those nine years, I, I, I didn't fall into wicked sin. I, I was a deacon in one of the largest churches in Atlanta. I was on the advisory council of that church. We helped advise two different uh, Christian colleges there. I was very active in that church. I lived just two blocks away, and I was there almost every day involved in some form of missions and ministry. Yet I realized that I was sinning because I had not surrendered to what God had called me to do. So often we want to play it safe. We want to be careful. We don't want to be all out for God. People might talk. They might think we're crazy. They might think that we're just being fanatical about something. The reality is every commitment to Christ is a sacrifice of your past and your future. And we have to be willing to follow him. You know, when, when Jacob took all the, the little amulets and, 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 and fetishes and the little statues that they had and he buried them all, what he was saying, not to just his people, his family, but to God was this, we don't need these anymore. We trust you. We don't need a, a, a second or third you know, tier level relationship with someone else. We trust you totally and absolutely. Many people treat God like he's a fire extinguisher or an alarm. They call on him when they can't control things. And the reality is we never really control things. Our problem is that many times the greatest disasters we live with are the ones we create. But Jacob heard God calling him, come back to me. The Lord protected them like no one else could. Jacob thought he had it under control. He came from a good family. They had been around a while. They had some, some wealth. They had uh, standing in the community. But the truth was, when it came right down to it, his mom and dad lied to each other. They preferred each one a different child and turned those two children against each other. It was not until their later life in the meeting that we saw a week or so ago that they really got back together and figured out that they really did love one another and they weren't enemies. And they had to find forgiveness to restore that relationship. Now what I want to ask you this morning is this, because we're in a situation now that's so unusual. We've never been in one like this before. In this pandemic, many people are isolated for for long amounts of time, and 
we're beginning to figure out that, that socialization is very important to our lives. We miss that. It's nice to talk to someone on the phone. It's nice to be able to text back and forth. But there's something about the human encounter that is so important. We need that. It's not just communicating information back and forth that that draws you into a relationship or friendship. It's much more than that. I spent part of the day yesterday with a good friend. And I realized during that day that, that when you're friends, much of your nonverbal communication is looking at each other and reading their faces and what they say. You know what I'm talking about. If you're a parent, you've done that with your child. My mother was an expert at that. She could look at you and know right away when you were skirting the truth. She'd say, to my brother, and I used to get so tickled. He, would, he had this neat way of taking a bath. Uh, his feet never got in the tub. He'd stand on the side and splash water around and everything. But the, I think the notion at, at seven years of age of getting into the tub was like, like absolute total obedience. And this was his act of rebellion. And I'd take a bath, and then he would go in and fill the tub up very full. And then he would take a bath. What he didn't understand that my mother was, she did not have a great deal of technical prowess. They didn't have any spy cameras in there. It was 1963. But he didn't know that there was a keyhole in the door that you could see through. And my mother would sit and watch him splash around and lean over the side of the tub like he was at the pool. And I can remember when he came out and my mother, you know what she did, Terry? The first thing she did was she turned him around and peeled his ear back and looked. She said, your ears are rusty. Now, I, I don't know if it's really, it's not rust, it's dirt, but he was caught. And the other day when I was in Savannah with him, we talked about how, he said, he said, he said you know, Mama, it was like she could read our mind, like she had x-ray vision. He said, I didn't even want to look at her in the eye. Well, that's the kind of relationship that we have with one another. We can read someone's face and their countenance, and we know what's going on with them. But there's another way to read, and it's the way that you read God. For God wants to have that relationship on us, and and He speaks to us in very unusual ways. He speaks through other people that have no idea what we're going through. Have you ever had that happen? A friend or loved one or neighbor or co-worker or even a stranger shares something with you and it's so precise on what you needed to hear from God that it makes you tremble. That is the way God works. Jacob figured that out. Now, how do we get to that point? How do we get to the point where where our relationship is restored? Well, I think we do it several ways. The first way is you need to listen for God's calling you back from where you've been. When you've walked away from God, it's hard to hear His voice. You get a distance away, and, and it's frustrating. You don't know where He is. I've had people say, well, I read the Bible and I prayed and I just don't feel God there. 
And I always ask them, how are you looking for God? Are you searching for God to rubber stamp an approval of what you're doing? Or are you laying your life out and saying, God, I, I don't know what to do. You need to speak. You need to guide me. You need to give me the direction I need. God speaks in some unusual ways to us. No matter how bad we've messed up, God desires for us to be with him forever. You're going to be shocked one day when you get to heaven and some of the scoundrels of life and of history actually, even at the last moment of life, called out to Christ and were saved. Some broken people, some people that, that had nothing to give to God, but God loved them, will be there. You will be amazed. Josh McDowell put, put it this way. He said, God is passionate about being in a relationship with us. That's why he sent his son, Jesus, to die for us, to give us what we couldn't get. If God had just put out a list of demands in Scripture and said, do these things and we'll be in fellowship, that would have been nice. But he didn't do that. The Ten Commandments were not given to save us. They were given to prove that we could not be saved on our own. We needed something supernatural. We, by nature, want to cut corners, to not do what we're called to do, to try to do our best. Yet it's not our best that God wants. It's his son's best on us that he demands Adoniram Judson is a name that you know well, the Judson College that's in Marion, a very special school. It's the last women's Bible college in America, but it is a great school. It's not named for Adoniram, by the way. It's named for his wife, Ann Hasseltine Judson. But Adoniram Judson was an amazing man. Before he ever met Ann, he had his own personal struggle in life. Before he became the father of American missions, he had his own situation. He went through college, and in college, like many college students, he was enlightened about a, a different way of thinking. Outside the norm, he was introduced to all things in those early days, liberalism. It was amazing that after going to college, he let go of his father's just, just really foolish and immature beliefs and primitive notions about God. And he went to New York City to find his fame and fortune in, in being an actor or writer. He did. He had a friend in, in college with him, his roommate, that when he would come back after class, they'd sit together and talk about what the day's classes were on. And, and, and his friend would tell him because his friend did not grow up in a Christian home, his friend would tell him how miserable life is and how frustrating it is and, and how tough it is to deal with some things. And the further Adoniram got from God, the more disillusioned and frustrated he became. He headed home to Plymouth, Massachusetts after he finished school and, and did not know really what he wanted to do. And he stopped in an inn on the way, spending the night, a, a, a 
house that had been a home for many people and and the the older individual that owned it he had turned it into an inn and they would stop and people would stay there on their journey and and he stopped there and and that night he stayed in a room upstairs in that house and right next to the room was another room that literally a divider had been put between the rooms a wall a very thin wall and in the room next to him there was a man that was very sick he was critically ill he was brought in the back of a wagon and taken to that room just hours before Adoniram got there the man lay there all night long moaning and groaning and somewhere in the early hours of the morning he died Adoniram lay in bed and heard the men come to take his body out and go down the narrow staircase with it. He struggled with that. And that morning he asked the innkeeper, said, that poor old man next to me, I guess he died early this morning. And he said, well, yes he did, but said he was not an old man. He was a young man about your age. And Adoniram was a little bit shocked by this, and he said, what was his name? And he said, Jacob Eames. Jacob had been his roommate in college. The man that didn't put up with the notion of God and the idea that, that somehow God would walk with you. He said, he, he, Adoniram wrote that Jacob would say, if God really cares about us, why do we ever fall down and hurt ourselves? Why do we ever pick up a tankard of alcohol and drink it? Why do we ever make poor judgments? Why doesn't he just come in the middle of that and help us? He said, no, there's not a God that loves us. It's a notion that simple people came up with to help them bear through the frustrations of life. Adoniram went home. And there, after three months of mental and spiritual battle, he surrendered to God never to look back. It is said that he made a solemn dedication of himself to God, and he said, I will never even consider the notion that man is the measure of all things. I will know that God is the only standard that I can live by. Secondly, I think we need to return to the Lord and remember His promises. And to remember those, we have to read them, we have to think about them, we have to consider them. And many people don't want to do this. Many people struggle with trying to spend time in God's Word. I encourage you to do that. I encourage you to do that. When I was a little boy, I had an aunt that came to stay with us for a while, and she brought this beautiful brick of chocolate. And she opened it up. It was one of those huge Hershey's commercial bars that they use for making in bakeries. And the thing weighed about five pounds. And she opened it up and laid it on a dish towel in our kitchen and was looking at it and thinking about how she would shave it. That's what she said, shave it and get that off of there. She said, told me, she said, if you want some chocolate, you can have some. Well, I go over there with a nice, sharp butcher knife, and I cut off a piece that looked like, y'all remember Chunky? It was a great big piece. Well, I took that thing with a little knife and began to cut off pieces of it, and the first one I put in my mouth almost choked me. It was not sweet chocolate. Not at all. It was dark, bitter 
chocolate. I took it back to my aunt and I said, can you put this back onto there? I don't want it. I didn't understand that you had to prepare chocolate a certain way for it really to be good. God wants us to know that we can't just jump into a relationship with him and just swallow whole all of his truths and be fine. No, there's a process in doing that. You read, you listen, you pray, and you act. And over a period of months and years, God develops a relation with, relationship with you that's real and true. I don't should ever go out and try to be like another person. Don't do that. Don't try to emulate an individual, a preacher, evangelist, missionary, anybody. Don't do it. There's only one model that we follow, and that's Jesus Christ. Now, we may learn from a lot of different people, and I've learned from many, 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 many people in my lifetime, but no one has become the final demonstrator of the Christ life except Jesus. He is the only one that we can thankfully follow and truly trust with our lives, and God wants us to do that. Jacob came back to the house of God where God reminded him of his new name. And when he built that altar there at the house of God, Bethel, it was a special thing for him. Jacob, in essence, says, I haven't forgotten your promises to me. And I want to live in such a way that you know that I trust you. And that's what God will do for us in a mighty way. If we'll only trust him, if we'll follow him, if we'll listen to him, if we'll allow him to guide us, that still small voice will speak to you. And you'll recognize it. Oh, it's not a verbal voice. It's one you can't run from. It's within you. It's in your heart. It's one that will speak ever so quietly. Elijah recognized it. Isaiah knew it. All the latter prophets heard it. And they responded to it. And lastly, I want you to realize this. Renew your faith to face an unsure future. I don't know about you, but I can't figure out the world that we're living in. I really can't. Because suddenly we realize that there is no absolute truth. There is no right and wrong. What may be right for one person is wrong for another. It's okay for people to burn American flags and to break into someone else's business or their home and take whatever you want. What happened to our world? What has happened to our world? Where has right and wrong gone? Well, God has called us to continue to shine no matter what. To stand for truth. We may not be able to paint the words of truth across the face of America, but we can change them in our own neighborhood. And we can reiterate to others that God is alive and true and wants to have a relationship with you. And as I told a man the other day, he said, I don't have time for God. He can just go on somewhere else. I said, I got news for you. One day that heart will stop beating 
and, and you'll be nose to nose with God and you'll understand the importance of what I'm saying to you. I said, I'm not trying to get you to join my church. It's not about church membership. It's about having a relationship with your Creator. But we must stand face to face with Him and understand that. I heard it put this way one time, and I like the way this is put. The difference between our thinking and God's promises is tremendous. We say that life's impossible, but God says all things possible with me. We say that I can't do it, and God says, you can do all things through my son, Christ. We say, I'm just too tired. There's just too many responsibilities in life. But God says, he doesn't complain at us. He says, come unto me, you that are weary, and I'll give you rest. We say, I'm always worried and frustrated. And, and every time I look at the television, it just gets worse. And he says, turn your TV off and cast your cares upon me, and you'll be okay. We say, I can't go on, and he says, but my grace is sufficient for you to go on. You don't stop where you are. You've got more living to do. We say, I can't figure things out, and he says, you don't need to. I'll guide your steps. We say, I'm not able, and he said, but I am. We say, I'm not worth it, and he says, you're more than worth it. You're made in my image. We say, I can't manage, and he says, you don't have to. I'll supply your needs. And we say, I'm terrified. And he says, I've not given you a spirit of fear. I will go for you. I will fight your battles. I will stand for you. All you have to do is trust me. Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. Let us pray. Father, I thank you that as we have gone through the life of Jacob, we've seen our own footsteps. We've heard our own cries and our own voice, and we've struggled with the reality that this is who we are. Yet, Lord, you love Jacob, and you loved him so much you remade him. He ruined his name, and you gave him a new name. He ruined his reputation, and you turned him in a new direction. He was destroying his family, and you put his family back together. God, I thank you that you love us in that way. And I ask that you would bless us today and that we would hear your voice. God, I pray that we would be obedient to you because so often we listen to many voices but ignore yours. May we hear your voice now guide us and lead us to where we should go. May we be found faithful even now that we would trust you and follow you. For it's in your holy name we do pray. Amen.